0: Please take your seats. Kids, you're in for a treat. Miss Long's over there ready to take you out to children's worship. So you can go ahead and head over. So the rest of us are going to uh, look at the parable that's printed in the bulletin, Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 27. Uh, so a couple of things to say about this before uh, we get into it. So when, as I begin to read this parable to you this morning, you may think, oh, I know this parable. This is the parable where uh, there's a king, he gives some gifts to his servants, he goes away and he comes back, and the servants that didn't work hard get spanked. And the ones that worked hard get rewarded. That's a good parable. I like that because I'm working hard. <laughs> right? Right. That's that's the way we tend to to read this. Uh that's not what this parable's about. As you'll see as we look at it, it is about a king who gives gifts, who goes away, and does have an accounting, but it's 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 not the way we tend uh to, to think about it. Um so uh one one of the things that I, I as I think about um uh, uh, how this uh, kind of thing uh works uh, I am reminded as we've thought a lot about the 25th anniversary and uh that sort of stuff um I, I actually a year uh the almost to the day before we had our first worship service uh, I was in the hospital really sick um and um You know, we had already started talking and gathering people to think about the core group for the, for the new church. And while I was in the hospital, a group, a handful of people from the core group came to visit me while I was in the hospital. And, you know, I do, I'm in the hospital a lot. I visit people all the time. And one of the things you know when you do a lot of hospital visits is, uh, that you want to get as close to the sick person as you can. I mean, Jesus modeled that for us, right? Well, these people were standing as far away from me <laughs> as they could, and the fear and anxiety in their eyes <laughs> was unbelievable, And o- but only one of them had the guts to say what they were really thinking, and that is, oh, no, we hitched our wagon to this guy. How is he ever going to plant a church? One of them actually asked me that. You don't think that's funny? Uh, listen, let's let's remember the good old days. When on, and my list of good old days about the beginning of the church, that's near the top. So, um, um and my answer to that question was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um so as as we as we think about this today, I think one of the things uh that's important for us uh to unpack is you know, most of us carry around in our minds kind of the economy of the way the kingdom of God works is Jesus gives me grace and then it's incumbent upon me uh, to uh, have a big impact. Uh, so let's look at what this text has uh, to say uh, about that this morning. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, uh, your mina has made five minas. Your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. By the way, anytime uh, you, (laughs) we, we, you're very familiar with that uh, statement, if you know anything about the scriptures at all, but... He just called his king a thief. You realize that, right? Where you take where you did not, yeah. You're a you're a thief. But not a good idea, probably to <laughs> to, uh, to to say that, right? He said to him, "I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow." Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the minor from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Any any uh, parable... and. Uh, uh, Text that you read before the holidays that ends, slaughter them before me is, uh, it just warms your heart, doesn't it? So, uh, what a, what a crazy parable, right? Now, part of the problem with this, this parable, one of the things that we have a problem with reading it is we are Western Americans, right? We, we, m- many of us are, and our worldview is shaped by capitalism. And I am a thoroughgoing capitalist. I believe in, in capitalism. And the reason why I believe in capitalism is I believe it is the system that helps the most people flourish. Right? And so I think, I think, uh, you know, that's, that's a good thing. But the problem is we read this and we're like, oh, I know how this works. Shareholder value, right? Uh, I've been given this thing and I need to get out and I need to kill myself to get uh, enough built up so that when there's an accounting, I can say I've, you know, I've been productive, right? I've had impact. Uh, I made a difference. And all of those things are good and valuable as far as they go. <clears throat> and there are certain places in the Bible where that tends to be the message. This, that's not the message necessarily of this parable. And so as we look at it this morning, I, I don't want you to walk out of here saying, you know, Jesus is good to me. And I even though uh, he's good to me based on his grace, uh, I better pay him back. So let's look a little more in depth uh, at, uh, at this text today um, as we kind of uh, unpack this. So the, the text begins as they heard these things. So what are the things that they just heard that caused Jesus to tell this parable? Well, Jesus has just been to Zacchaeus, uh, uh, his house. And we know that, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree and Jesus came by. And Jesus said, today I am uh, going to eat at your house. Uh, we hear this. We love this. And I've said this before. Zacchaeus is not threatening to us. If you lived in the village with Zacchaeus, you would hate him because Zacchaeus is a bad man. He steals. He takes taxes, he steals, and everybody in the village hates him, okay? They don't hate him because he's really misunderstood. <laughs> they hate him because he's a thief and he's, he's a bad man, right? So Jesus comes and shows the bad man grace. He's always doing that, and it never works the way I want it to. I want Jesus to tell Zacchaeus to come out of the tree and, you know, go... I don't know. Just go away. But Zacchaeus, in response to Jesus's grace, repays what he's stolen. And Jesus looks at him and says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Hearing those words. Jesus tells this parable now, now isn 't it funny, right It says, and as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. in other words, hey you know if if um, Jesus is uh, is on his way to Jerusalem and he can say this about Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham. Uh, that grace has come to his house, you know. then we're on our way to Jerusalem. We are about to celebrate the Passover. We are about to see the kingdom of God come. We are going to be impact people. We are going to see our significance go up dramatically. We're going to matter, and our nation is going to matter. And it's going to happen right away. Jesus is about to do this. And so they're fired up about that. And Jesus is like... Okay, let me tell you this parable to kind of calm everybody down. Let me put, let me, let me, let me slow you down a little bit here. So next slide, please. So uh what happens to us is, is that we are always scrapping for our significance and our importance to be evident and made manifest in and through our activity and the things that we do. And, you know, listen, there are some of you, you know, who are, all about your impact, and some of you are all about making a difference and that sort of thing, and that's fine. But I am here to tell you today that the economy of the gospel of the kingdom of God is different from that. Your significance is yours today, period, if you're in Christ. Uh, Randy Neighbors, a friend of mine who uh, is retired now, uh, he started uh, the whole New City uh, Church uh, movement. Uh, I worked with him years ago, several summers in Chattanooga, and he wrote this this week. And I think this, you know, you can you can say these things when you're retired because no one can fire you. Um, if we don't find our significance in the blood and righteousness of Christ, we're looking in the wrong places. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, if we don't seek the glory of Jesus more than our own, then we are glory thieves, idol worshippers, and ingrates. Woo. If we don't find our identity in being a son of God seated with Christ in heavenly places and a joint heir with Christ, we are settling for cheap change. Right? So what the disciples want is something quick to happen, something where they suddenly are recognized and viewed and that they're suddenly uh, their significance has swollen dramatically because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. They know the Passover is coming now would be the strategic moment for them to get to be uh, uh, the leaders of their nation, to throw off the Roman yoke, to make things uh, the way they really want them to be. And so they're thinking, next slide, if salvation can come to this loser, Zacchaeus, then it certainly means something for us and our nation. Passover's coming now might be the time, right? So that's exactly what they're thinking, and that's what they're gearing themselves up for. So Jesus tells them this parable to put a giant wet blanket over their ambition, to redirect them, to change their orientation and the way in which uh, they're uh, uh, thinking about this. Now, we read this, and then the way we tend to, to read this is kind of pat, to pass over the detail about this king, this nobleman, right? It says, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Uh, he calls his ten of his servants. He gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. We missed this verse, verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to re- to reign over us. We kind of like, well, that seems odd. Well, the fact is, if you were a first century Jewish person, you would know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Because this has already happened twice. The Herods, uh, I, I won't get into Archelaus and all these other names, but they're two guys from the family of, of Herod who had done this exact thing. They wanted to be in charge in Jerusalem. And the way you got to be to be in charge in Jerusalem is you would go to Rome and you would say, "Hey, make me in charge of this little part of your empire, and I'll do that." And then you go back. Well, so of course the Herods not not well liked, <laughs> you know. They um, they go, and of course a delegation would follow after him and said, "Don't pick that guy. He's terrible. <laughs> He's awful." So Jesus is using a, a thing that happened that everybody sitting around would know exactly what he's talking about. Except the, the, the thing that's going to be crazy about this as they think about the parable is instead of him talking about Herod and then the character who's like Herod, it's Jesus. Right. So he goes away to go to Rome to get the Romans to say, yeah, you can be the boss of this little part of real estate of this uh, in the world. Uh, but his citizens hated him, right? Uh, it's funny to me to, to read the history of, you know, people that say, we won't have this man, uh, to reign over us. You know, that, uh, probably the most well known of those is, you know, President Abraham Lincoln when he was elected, uh, because he was tall and gangly, you know, the word was, we don't want this monkey to reign over us. People said that then, right? So it's not, it's not an un- un- uncommon, uh, thing at all. Next slide. So, uh, as the man prepares to go away, as the nobleman prepares to go away, he calls his, uh, 10 of his servants and he gives them these minas, which is about a hundred days salary. So it's not a gigantic gift, but a hundred days salary is pretty good. I'll take it. You know what you guys, if you guys go away and give me a hundred days salary, I'd be okay with that. Right? So uh, so the fact is, it's a it's a it's a generous gift, and unlike the way we tend to think about, it, they're based on grace. Everybody gets the same thing, everybody gets the same generous gift. Um, it's not based on somebody's potential or somebody's ability or that sort of thing. They're just simply gifts that are given to us servants, right? Um, and the way the uh, the uh, ESV says, "Engage in business until I come." A better rendering, because of what's going on here in this situation, is. Uh, engage in business in a situation in which I am returning, and the situation in which he is returning is a terrible situation. And that we miss that if we're if we're not careful, right? Um, it, it, a, a way to understand this: m- many of you probably don't, uh, you know, when you when you read the news and you hear about things uh, going on in the world, uh, you hear a lot about Iran. You know, Iran used to be one of our closest allies. You probably think that's the most shocking thing you've ever heard in your life, right? Well, the reason why uh, it was is because there was a guy in charge of Iran called the Shah, and I'm not going to get into a political statement about that, but people in Iran did not like the Shah. That's why he's not there anymore. His family's not there anymore. Um, and so one of the reasons why you've ever heard of a, a, about the Iranian hostage situation, the reason why those guys took our uh, embassy and (laughs) took those hostages is we had the shah. He was here, and they wanted us to give him back so they could do with them as they would, right? I, I remember this because I was of a draftable age at this time. (laughs) <laughs> I was a sophomore in college, and I was following this story quite closely because I expected fully to have to go do something about this. It was uh, it was an unpleasant it was an unpleasant time, right? Well, just imagine, right? This, this the situation here is the Shah, as he gets ready to get on his gold plated airplane to fly out of Iran, he says to ten of his servants, "Here's some money, and while I'm gone, open a business." And tell people that you're opening this business in my name while I'm gone. You see, what we read about this is we we forget that the the to identify yourself with the nobleman in this parable is fraught with danger. There are people in the country who hate him, and if they hate him and they can't get to him because he's gone, while you're here doing business, exercising what he's called you to do in his name with his gift while he's gone people are not going to like you they're going to want to kill you they can't get to him but we can get to you right so all of a sudden you know this begins to kind of change the orientation the way in which we we think about this so what does faith look like in uncertainty what the what the uh the nobleman is asking his guys to do is is risky, really risky, uh, because they're to do this in a context of danger, in a context where, where people are like, you know, we hate the nobleman. Next slide. So really, if you're a wise investor, if you're a fiduciary, you know what a fiduciary is? That means I'm going to tell you what to do with your money that's in your best interest, not in my best interest. Now, I don't know a lot about money. But one of the things that I know that people tell me who do know that the market hates uncertainty. And that's bad market always goes down when it's uncertain. The the market might not go bad, go down on bad news because we know the news is bad. It's clear. We find a way to make money when the news is bad. But if we don't know what's going to happen. If we're uncertain. Then better not invest, right? Right. The better thing to do is to hold on to the money and then once the dust is settled, we see what we got. Right? That seems smart. Some of you are doing it right now. I know you are, because you told me you are. And you know what? Good for you. Uh, there's nobody that's gonna show up and demand an accounting and take your money away from you and give it to me. Right? That's not, <laughs> that's, that's not gonna happen. Right? So, so that's, uh, that's OK. But so as, as we hear this, you know, because we we look at the guy who takes the money and buries it in the field His the reason why he goes and buries it in the field is because he's terrified. He thinks he his his fear of what will happen to him because of these people hate the nobleman, hate his boss, is greater even than his fear of the of his boss, who he recognizes is a hard man. He thinks he's a hard man. So in, in many ways, as we look at this, you know, the smart money seems like don't take a lot of risk, actually bury the money, right? So what happens? He comes back, and when he comes back, what does he do? He looks, he calls his ten servants together, and we're given the account of what happens to the three of them. Uh, note what the text says, right? One, the first one comes back, and the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mind has made five minas," And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Right. And then we know the other one came and it didn't go so well for him. Right now, the, the thing that he says here, what does the nobleman say? The nobleman does not say to the servant, you know what? You did a great job. Right. Uh, He says, Rather, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. You showed up, you identified yourself with me, and you employed what I gave you in my name. And and the uh the servant recognizes that because he says to the nobleman, You're Mina, what you gave me has gained this. He does he takes himself completely out of the out of the scenario it's like it's not that it's not that he was was great or that he was uniquely gifted or he did anything like that he simply recognizes that he's been given a gift and where he is and the place where he is he identifies himself with the nobleman and does what the nobleman's called him to do right and this would be really difficult to do in a, uh, when the nobleman, uh, because identifying yourself with him, because he's not very popular, right? Next slide. So um, one of the ways we look at this is, and is the way the ESV mistranslates this is, how much business has been transacted is a better translation than how much money you made, right? The amount of business indicates a greater association with the nobleman. So what the noble one wants to know is how many transactions did you have? How many opportunities did you have to bear witness to my name, to let people know that you are connected to me, that we are joined together. And so so the the issue is not so much were you shrewd, were you a shrewd investor, but were you doing in my name what I ask you to do before these people? In other words, it's simply were you faithful to take what little I gave you? And to bear witness, to let people know that you belong to me, where you are, with what you have, bearing witness, right? So what's, and what's fascinating about it is, is that the, the nobleman doesn't say, you're a great success. He just simply says, you've been faithful. Faithfulness seems, uh, I don't know, boring. I'd rather Jesus say, Steve, you know what? You had a phenomenal impact. I couldn't have done it without you. Isn't that what you want to hear Jesus say? (laughs) Right? Couldn't have done it without you, Steve. Oh, Jesus. No, really. Really. (laughs) Listen, there's nothing wrong with passion. uh, But if we have to have our significance, our impact, uh, so front and center, uh, we're never going to be in a situation where we say, Lord, you did this, you did this. And so rather than, than, than give him more privileges, the reward is, is simply more responsibility, more responsibility. It's not like, Hey, I'm going to give you, uh, all these great rewards. He's like, you know what? You you were you were faithful, and that hundred days wages I give you. Now I'm going to give you ten cities, ten cities to be in charge of, ten cities full of people to care for, ten cities full of problems, ten cities full of schools where the roofs fall on or the ceilings fall on the kids, ten cities where the tax base is shrinking, ten cities where. Uh, uh, there is phenomenal, uh, income disparity, right? Ten cities. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of fun, right? So the fact is, because of this, the, the, the faithful service, uh, that the, uh, these the servants, uh, exercise, they end up getting more responsibility. Why? Because the nobleman knows what is what is valuable to him is the faithfulness to him. As, as these guys associate themselves, identify themselves with the nobleman, that's where their impact comes from. Now, um, I've used this illustration before and uh, but it's so important because uh, uh, it's the kind of illustration that offends people. And so that's why it's such a good one. Um, Listen, in a hundred years, no one's going to know you were here. More than likely. By the time the last person who knows you dies, most people are not going to know you were ever here. And, you know, thankfully we have Ancestry.com so you can go back and like, You know, find, okay, there was so-and-so, and and there's this obscure record of them, right? Uh, Yesterday, I was, uh, I I go regularly to this uh, rural part of Hanover County, and I've told you this before, in the middle of the woods, now, uh, literally, in the woods, in the forest, there is a cemetery where I go, and you would never know that there was a cemetery there except that there's one of the stones is about 12 feet high. It's an obelisk, so that person must have been important or, or you know, they wanted a pretty big monument left there. And there's, I don't know, a couple of dozen stones in there. And uh, probably the, the latest one was, uh, I think as the last time i looked at it was probably in the 70s late 60s so 40 50 years which doesn't seem that long ago to me but this is not a place where there's some undergrowth around these this, these stones this place is in deep in the woods it's really hard to get to uh you have to uh, i only have access to it because i pay money and i know the uh the uh uh the way to unlock the gate So which tells me nobody goes to visit those graves. Those people are buried there in the woods. And, you know, the only thing that happens there is squirrels and deer and possums and other critters are running around there. And that's it. That's it. And so I, it's, I'm i always encouraged when I go there because I think, you know, because uh, you read some of the stuff on the, the tombstones and one of the things that you note is many of those people are in heaven and I'll get to know them one day. Um, they're having an impact on me. Dead in their graves. Remember death so you can remember Jesus. That's been my motto for the last year. So these dead people who nobody ever visits, who most who I don't even know if there's anybody that even remembers who they are, are preaching the gospel to me. Right? That's taking your mina. And identifying with Jesus and letting the chips fall. Um, That's hard for us because we like to think uh, in some sort of profound way that we are going to beat this and that we are going to be uniquely impactful. Jesus is uniquely impactful And he sees to it that he uses us, giving us gifts, giving us grace, giving us significance, giving us a place and a name and a future and a destiny. And we simply bear witness to that in a hostile world by saying we identify with him and he with us. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's use this uh, prayer of confession. Lord Jesus Christ, by your steadfast love and atoning sacrifice, you took our place and proved yourself to be the friend of sinners. You were punished that we might be pardoned and broken that we would be made whole. In your resurrection, you demonstrated your power over our sin, death, and our enemies. While we await your return... We have been weak in faith and anxious in heart. In our rebellion and restlessness, we have sought peace for our souls where there is none to be found. Apart from you, we find ourselves fearful, alone, tired, and worn. Forgive us, Savior. Renew our trust in you and restore to us the true rest you alone offer. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name. And he gave it to his disciples. One of the things that you note about that parable is the poor guy that just took in fear, just took his mina and buried it in the field. The only thing that happened to him is his mina was taken away. But the people who resisted the king, they had it rough. Bring them before me and kill them. (laughs) Uh, The parable doesn't tell us whether that happened or not, but it does tell us uh, the life and death uh, importance of whether we identify uh, with Jesus Christ or not right that that really matters and if you're still struggling today about uh, uh, your impact and the fact that you demand uh, that you have uh, and be recognized and seen uh, as someone who has impact, well you know let me let me just tell you one thing I've observed about our congregation over the last twenty five years is uh, that there are a group of people who have been a part of our congregation who have been phenomenally impactful and, and, and brought about renewal and change in profound ways, unique ways, ways that reverberate in the lives and the hearts of people even today. And they did it, many of them, without ever saying a word, literally. And what I'm speaking of, who I am speaking of, are uh, the infants that we have lost as a congregation. The ministry and the impact that they've had reverberates in ways that we cannot calculate. They're witness to the grace and the mercy of God is profound and probably more impactful in many ways than all of the flailing around that most of us give ourselves to. It's amazing, amazing Um, how profound it is for us to be able to see a child who maybe barely drew breath As a witness to us to the power of the gospel, the nobleman who will come back, right? The economy of the gospel always turns our uh, values and our hearts upside down, I think. Jesus invites you to his table, he knows your heart, he knows your restlessness. And he knows your inability, just like the disciples, to think, oh, something big is going to happen. Rather than seeing the gift of grace that we have, the identity that we have with Jesus Christ, and just bear witness to that, where we are, where we are. If you uh, have come to that place in your spiritual life where you know you have no other hope, No other place to go except to this Jesus. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you. He asks you to come and sit at his table and receive uh, even more of the gifts and the grace that he has for you. Uh, The outer rings, wine, the inner rings are grape juice. All the bread is bread that is gluten-free. As the elders and deacons uh, come down front uh, to assist me today... uh, just recognize that as you come to the table today, as you come to eat, uh, you are simply saying uh, that Jesus is the source of your life, the source of your heart, and the source of your hope. And if you need help seeing that today, um, the Wilkes family, you saw Emily Wilkes stand up earlier in the service and... Uh, Profess faith. Um, Jesus has been at work in her life, and as a testimony uh, to her to the to the work that He has done in her heart and life, the Wilkes family will lead us uh, in communion uh, this morning. So, Emily, lead your family down front.